Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing, science, and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I am Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the Vice Chair of Education for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Matt Binniger, the Director of the Clinical Virology Laboratory at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Binniger led the efforts to develop and implement the first Mayo Clinic test for COVID-19, and he is a key member of our leadership team for the laboratory COVID-19 response. Dr. Binniger, thank you for being here today. Thanks for the invitation. So there are a lot of tests on the market now for detecting COVID-19. Can you tell us what the main categories of these tests are? Sure. So to date, the vast majority of the testing that's taken place for COVID-19 has been performed by a technology called PCR. It's a molecular test. And then recently, over the last few weeks, there's been growing interest in a second type of test called serology or an antibody-based test. And the testing for uh, serology is beginning to ramp up. Uh, across the country. So those are the two main categories, the PCR and the serology test. Yeah, well, thank you. That's a great breakdown. So let's delve into those a little bit more. Um, let's start with the molecular test. Can you explain to our audience how that works? Sure. So PCR is a technology that's been around since the 1980s. And over the last 15 to 20 years, it's really become a cornerstone in the diagnosis of infectious diseases. And what PCR is trying to accomplish is to determine whether a pathogen's genetic material, so its DNA or RNA, is present in a patient's clinical sample. So how it works is it's broken down into a few steps. The first step we call extraction. We have to take the pathogens, or in this case, the virus's genetic material, and extract it or purify it out from the patient sample. So the patient's cells and um, any proteins or inhibitors that may be present in that sample, we have to pull the pathogen's genetic material out and extract that. Once we have that purified genetic material of the virus, we can mix it with a combination of enzymes and components called primers and probes. And those primers and probes are small pieces of DNA that target or seek out a specific region in the virus's genome. And then we put that mixture on an instrument that fluctuates the temperature. And over the course of an hour or several hours, we can take a few copies of that viral gene target and we can amplify it to potentially millions of copies that can be detected by the test using probes that release a fluorescent signal that's picked up by the instrument and basically tells us, is the virus present or is it not? Well, thanks, Dr. Vinegar. That was a really good description of a really complex process. Um, now, our audience may not be that familiar with PCR tests. Um, and because there's so many different types of PCR tests out there right now, can you tell us a little bit about um, the differences and uh, specifically how these different types of tests may compare to one another in terms of accuracy and turnaround time? Sure. So there are now over 30 different types of PCR tests that have received what's called emergency use authorization or EUA by the Food and Drug Administration. 
And not all of these tests are the same. They may employ the same type of technology, PCR, but they're designed in different ways. Many of the tests that are being performed are on instruments or equipment that can run a lot of tests each day. So we're talking about hundreds or thousands of tests per day. Now that higher throughput, the more samples you can test a day, typically comes at the expense of speed. So those may take four, six, or eight hours once a sample gets to the laboratory for the whole testing process to be completed. In contrast, there are some uh, assays that have been developed that uh, are called more rapid PCR tests. And those are tests that can produce results in less than an hour, and in some cases, less than 20 minutes. And so um, we can get results much quicker, but that usually comes at the expense of lower throughput. So those types of tests that can produce quick results typically only test one sample at a time or a few samples at a time. So those more rapid tests are really good for settings like an emergency department and the higher throughput tests, the ones that can test hundreds or thousands of samples in a day are really well suited for centralized clinical labs where testing can be consolidated and turn out a large number of results each day. In terms of comparative performance, um, most of them are pretty similar. We're seeing some data that, uh, that the very rapid tests, the ones that can produce results in, in minutes, may not have quite the sensitivity as the ones that perform more high throughput testing. So you might sacrifice some sensitivity for speed, uh, but overall, I think they're pretty uh, comparable tests, especially if we test patients who are early in the disease process. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Dr. Vinegar. Uh, there's just such a variety out there. I think that was helpful to really break it down and look at things such as speed, turnaround time, and then throughput. So we've heard about now from Dr. Vinegar how PCR works and some of the different tests are out there. Um, Dr. Vinegar, can you tell us when and how physicians can use PCR to diagnose patients with COVID-19? Yeah, so the PCR tests are really designed to be diagnostic tests, meaning that they should be used um, in patients who have symptoms that are compatible with COVID-19. And there's been a lot of interest in when these tests should be performed to get the highest yield or be able to pick up positives in the most number of cases. And there's been some really helpful studies that have been published over the last several weeks that have shown that the virus is actually present in the highest amount very early in the disease. Actually, the peak viral shedding occurs about 24 hours before a patient even develops symptoms. So if we can get a patient in as soon after they develop symptoms, the PCR test has that much higher probability of being positive. So that means if someone tries to tough it out at home and stays home for four, five, six days and then presents to their physician, there actually might be a lower chance of the PCR test being positive if they get a sample from the nose or the nasopharynx. As the disease progresses, the virus actually tends to migrate to the lower respiratory tract. And so someone who's hospitalized with pneumonia, we're actually recommending a lower respiratory sample, like a sputum sample or a BAL fluid, a bronchoalveolar lavage fluid. And those have higher detection rates later in the disease. So interesting that people have a high load of the virus early on, maybe before they even 
start developing symptoms. So it sounds like, again, just to confirm, the PCR test is really for diagnosing that patient during that early stage when they have symptoms. That's right, yeah. And the early shedding of this virus is likely why we've seen such effective community spread and much better uh, transmission uh, during this pandemic than like the SARS virus back in 2003 which showed peak viral shedding between days seven and 10 after onset of symptoms. So by that time, most patients with the original SARS were in the hospital uh, and they could be much more easily contained and, and sp the spread of the disease was much e more easily contained yeah. Ver versus this coronavirus, the shedding occurs at peak amounts before they even develop symptoms. Very interesting. Well, let's move on to serology. Um, can you tell us more about serologic testing and how that works? Sure. So serology is a type of diagnostic test that we use to um, detect a protein called an antibody. And antibodies are formed following an infection, and it's the body's way of helping to clear a pathogen from the body and also provide uh, immunity for some period of time. And that immunity can occur for months, uh, maybe a year, years, or sometime for the life of the patient. So we're actually measuring a, the patient's immune response to a virus or a pathogen and not trying to detect the virus itself. So again, serology has gained a lot of interest over the last few weeks. There are a number of uh, antibody-based tests that have been developed, and these will be really important as we move forward in this pandemic. So when would you use serology? Serology is uh, to be used later on after a patient has developed symptoms. And the data that we're generating uh, are showing that um, patients don't develop antibodies to SARS-CoV-2 until around the first week after the onset of symptoms. So by day seven to 10 after they've developed symptoms, the antibodies start to develop. So we're recommending that if you're going to order a serology or antibody-based test, that that sample not be collected until around day 10 following the onset of symptoms. So it sounds like really we have these two different tests. They're doing different things. I think our audience um, may not be familiar with these tests, but probably now uh, gained a lot of understanding through your description. And it sounds like both of these tests are really important parts of our diagnostic and management toolbox for COVID-19. So can you just summarize just for our audience uh, again, how these two tests work together? Yeah, so they really complement each other. Um, the PCR test again is, best suited for patients who have symptoms during the very early course of their disease. And serology is uh, better suited for uh, determining an individual's antibody response at later periods of time. So I don't think, uh, at least at this stage in the pandemic, we can use one test or the other in all situations, but there will likely be scenarios where we can use them in combination 
to determine where a patient may be at in their disease course. And so what we're thinking about doing is if we test individuals with PCR and serology, we can use both of the results to help determine what their risk is for transmitting the virus to other people. In other words, if someone is positive by the PCR and negative by serology, it means that they're still likely shedding the virus. They haven't developed antibodies yet, so they would be a high risk individual for shedding the virus. But in contrast, if someone is PCR negative and serology positive, we're not detecting the virus, but we're detecting their antibodies. And so they've li likely developed some level of immunity or antibody response. And we would consider those individuals to be lower risk. So what's still unclear is how long a individual will have immunity to SARS-CoV-2 whether that immunity following exposure will be in the range of months or years or their lifetime is still uncertain. And we still have a lot of studies to do to determine what the immune response uh, looks like and how long that immunity will last in the population. Well, thank you, Dr. Vinegar. That was an excellent description of those two testing modalities and how they can be used together. So Dr. Vinegar, again, is the director of the Clinical Virology Laboratory at Mayo Clinic. Thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for tuning into Answers from the Lab. If you are interested in learning more about what we discussed in this episode, please click on the website address below. Plus, be sure to subscribe to this podcast as we will continue to provide you with Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing, science, and people who are making it happen behind the scenes. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday.